Welcome everyone. Anyone here for the first time? How did you find out? Um, I've been going to the restaurant for a while. Okay. And I just happened to walk in while um, a gentleman whose father's the president. Oh, okay. He said to come back for one of the services. Okay. Well. And the rest is history. The rest is history. We'll find out. How many? And yourself? I'm from out of town, uh, originally from Dallas. Now I've been to several events, uh, but uh, today I was in town and my friend Erica, who is uh, okay. a member here, okay. uh, she said, I have an idea. And the rest I have an history. idea. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, they said Ford had a better idea. He did, he joined the Hare Krishna movement. <laughs> Actually, Henry Ford was, Henry, what was the first one, Model A or Model T? I can never. Anyway, any, when the, when the, actually he gave, he, he said that when he came here for a fundraiser. Was it here or Houston? Anyway, it doesn't matter, details are not important. But um, he said that his great-grandfather, every time the Model A, first car, yeah, the Model A or the Model T, came off the assembly line, he was there. And somebody had already purchased it, and he had handed him a pamphlet on the science of reincarnation. So he was, yeah. He felt he had, it, it, it's, um, some friends with his great-grandson. He lives in the same town, we're friends for many, many, many years. And um, he told me that his great-grandfather believed deeply in reincarnation because he knew how to take <coughs> a mechanical watch apart and put it back together again, but he'd never been trained. And he said he, it, was just, it just came naturally within his head. And so he said that I, I learned this someplace else besides wherever he was from. And um, it convinced him of it. And so um, his son, his great grandson, great, great son, grandson, or great great grandson, whatever it is, uh, he said that he used to pass out little flyers to everybody that bought a model A on the science of reincarnation. He agrees. <laughs> So, um, so um, I remember one time I used to play a game with kids. You can't begin speaking with so hum, but like we have all these words you can't use as the first word when you start to speak. It's a fun game to play with kids that are like six to twelve or something, six to nine, six to ten or something. Kind of a fun game because it's really hard to to do that. Speaking of reincarnation, since that came up, um, the transmigration of the soul, quite an interesting thing. If you take a look at it, we're already transmigrating in our present body. Uh, we're changing, trans reincarnation, karna, flesh, we once again, to once again flesh, to reflesh ourselves. So we're hopefully refreshing and refleshing at the same time. Um, that we're, we're actually reincarnating at every moment because the body's constantly changing. Um, this is described in the very beginning, practically introductory, introductory instruction by Krishna to Arjuna, where he says, Komaram Yovanam Jala, that from childhood to youth to old age, Komaram Yovanam Jala. 
that from a child to a youth to old age, the dehi, dehi no svinyata, dehi no asvinyata, dehi. So there's dehi and deha are there. Deha meaning the body of one who means who, that is who inhabits the body. Is transmigrating in this body, even in this lifetime, from a child to a youth to, to an older body. And then it says, Dhirastata Namuyati, that Dhir, one who is sober in, in mind, one whose mind is not frivolous or under the influence of um, lower tendencies in this world, will be one who is sober, will be undisturbed by this change. They'll be undisturbed by this change because um, we, the soul inside, actually are unchangeable. And the word is kutasta. That means that it doesn't change. It's steady. It's a steady. It's a steady part of us. We just remain that. We're just kind of like that. What the word I always use is the conscious observer, or the conscious observer of this body undergoing uh, different changes. Uh, recently I was, I'm always dabbling in different things, as if I matter, so. And um, one of the things that came up was anger. And um, and you can see that, you know, a lot of times, I, I can't remember what they were, I found out the different sorts of anger, one of them was frustration. Of course that's in the Gita, uh, describes that of contemplating the objects of the senses, one develops attachment to them. And from attachment comes lust or strong desire. And from that lust comes anger, that desire to become satisfied by something outside of, uh, how do you say, outside of not, not, not the right world. Even though that word we're trying to satisfy can never be satisfied. The material body can never be satisfied as it is in them. Um, Later on, the third chapter describes that the senses, which make up this body, without the senses, we're kind of like the big blob that runs in the universe. Uh, without the senses, there's no meaning really to the body. Your eyes, ears, nose, sense of touch, taste, <laughs> five knowledge acquiring senses, five working senses. And the group about the mind, the mind is considered the eleven sense. And so it's described that no matter how much one how much fuel one pours on the fire, it won't extinguish it. It's like a, it's like, a, the, like the desire for sense gratification, desire for sense gratification, it's compared to like a, compared to a blazing fire, like a blazing fire, and the more fuel you put on that fire, it doesn't extinguish it, it actually just, it may put it out for a little bit, it may get some temporary, like, diminishing thing, but all of a sudden, once that which you put in catches, then it rages again. And so the same way is there with material desires. Material desires are like them. Because the more we try to satisfy those desires, it's like a fire that cannot be put out. It just increases the desire and increases the desire. A very close friend, I don't know if anybody here knows Bori John Prabhu, a very close friend, and um, he was explaining one time, because there's a nice verse, Chayvada Narakashi doors. There are three gates Dora, uh, leading to hell, lust, anger, and greed. These three things are like the three doors that lead us to hell. 
lust and anger and grief lead us to hell. And he says that, you know, it's like when you become lusty for something, the tendency of this is that it, because it doesn't satisfy, you become more greedy. You actually intensify another, another I don't want to say the word negative because it's not cool these days, an unwanted quality. Um, if someone's considered greedy, everybody will say, that's not a nice quality. Now you can be, you can be greedy for Krishna. That's okay. You can be greedy for understanding of knowledge of God. You can be greedy for devotional service to the Lord. And that, what would you say, transcendentalizes or spiritualizes the greed in the heart by utilizing it in the service of the Lord. So, um, it started out with this, I'm going to go back one step into anger, and that, um, that that anger can't be satisfied, and the more that it can be utilized in the service of the Supreme Lord. It's not that we become, there's, I often quote this, there's a nice section in the, study of Bhagavad Gita called Srimad Bhagavatam. There's a famous lady named Queen Kunti. She was actually Arjuna's, the one that Krishna is speaking to on the battlefield. That was his mother. And she was speaking. And she was explaining to Krishna. Krishna was actually leaving and going to another city from where she lived. And um, she was pleading with Krishna. She said, I, you know, a lot of bad things happened to me in life. I mean, her husband died in an early age. So many people tried to kill their her five sons. It took away the kingdom. It, I mean, it's just like they took away. You know, I mean, one after the other. I mean, you want to just you know like have like a list of traumatic experiences. Just read what happened to Queen Koti. And yet, in her prayers to Krishna, she says, "My dear Lord Krishna, please let these calamities happen to me again and again, because when they do, you're here. I'd rather have that." than to have like a really cool, peaceful, you know, beach day. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather not have that. I'd rather, I'd rather have all these things coming down upon my head than to have something else which is like sweet or nectarian and you not be there. That would be more torturous for me. That would be more torturous for me not to have your association. So please don't go. Please just stay here and stand up or don't want to work. And then she prays uh, further that, my dear Lord Krishna, please let my consciousness, please let me always be focused uh, on you. And not by, not in any way be deviated in any way to anything else other than your devotional service to the Supreme Lord. Because devotional service is the process by which the heart is cleansed of all unwanted things. So she's praying to Krishna that please don't, you know, please just never let me be deviated. And in the commentary, the founder of society writes that this is the perfection of pure devotional service to never, to have unobstructed or um, undeviated attention towards the Supreme Lord. And then he says, uh, which is really cool, he says, but this does not mean that one gives up affection and desire and hankering and anger and these kind of things because these are the symptoms of life. 
without them we have no real life. The only thing is, is that these things have to be utilized in the service of the Lord. So the idea of the service of the Lord was given um, in, in the case of Arjun. Arjun was told to fight on the battlefield. And when you fight, you just can't be, you can't be, you know, without some kind of passion or some kind of aggression. Uh, I mean, so many things, there are different times, I can't remember where it's, where it's at. There's six types of regret. Someone sets a fire, someone who kidnaps your wife, someone who steals your land, someone that... Tries to poison you. That poison. Um, I just read it just like three days ago. It's, it's almost like, like that verse in Queen Kunti. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, like, it's like every... Well, that's why it's there. It, it's every single thing that happened. Every, there's six times, there's, there's five or six times that you can, you can literally kill someone and not be held sinful, it will, it will not be re result in any sinful reaction. I mean, you may go to jail in America or, or wherever you live if you do something like this. You know, the, the, the guy stole my land, so I killed him. Okay, why didn't you just go out and, you know, small claims court rather than kill him? But, but karmically, karmically, like according to the laws of karma, karma meaning action and reaction in this sense. In other words, there is no material reaction for someone who does that if someone kidnaps your wife or steals your land or sets her house on fire or gives you poison or the different plunders riches plunders riches one who occupies another's land land one who kidnaps a wife right I think that's all six poison giver so this would those rules be specific for the warriors for the Shatriyas or yeah, those are specifically warrior uh, warrior related uh, warrior and, and and it just depends on the situation too. It depends on. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. So these these acts of sins that were committed, uh, you know, uh, as far as killing six times and all that stuff. Um, do you think that maybe these things were written so that we remind ourselves not to do it? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, and it's on topic but off topic. So I'll keep I'll keep it off topic with you. So. Everything that happens to us is earned in this lifetime. We, whatever, whatever good or bad, whatever intelligence, whatever health, whatever monetary level we're at, all these things are reactions to our previous actions in this life or previous lives. And so if we have, if we're getting a reaction, see, There's a, there's a nice verse, in the 34th verse of the Lucifer Gita, there's, there's seven qualities listed for feminine qualities, but they always use men as the ones that should have them also, which is kind of unique. But patience, one who is steady in, in sorrow and in the ecstasy of joy, one who's, one who's sober at that time, in either one of those two things, he's known as patient. The person is known as patient. And so, um, when these things happen to us, a lot of times we'll think this is a lesson, like say for example, you smash your car or someone steals your spouse or someone poisons your grandfather, what, you know, whatever, and you can think, okay, this is for me to learn a lesson. 
but what also it is is that it's a, a karmic reaction for our previous activities and like you say we're meant to learn from that in other words we're meant to learn from that but we tend to only learn when it's kind of a negative thing when something positive happens to us we tend to take credit for it mm-hmm. it's kind of a unique situation isn't it you know it's like i really deserve that raise <laughs> I really deserve this, you know. Rarely do we think, like, you know, if you lose something of value, you think, I really deserve to lose that because I was such a bad guy, you know, 10 years ago. Sometimes people think like that. Sometimes people will think, you know, I got this coming because I was really rude at somebody once before. Someone's rude to me now, so I heard. So that's true. There, there are always lessons to be learned. And it's described that the introspective sage, the one who's, who's always thinking within himself or themselves, um, is quite aware of that. But that does not, but that does not negate the karmic reaction that would result if one chooses to, to inflict that. And that would be. Um, that would depend a lot on one's level of spiritual realization and situ- uh, the situation at hand and stuff like that. I would find it hard if someone stole my land just to kill the guy. I mean, I don't know if I would do that. I'd just say, just go ahead and live. I'll put a tent someplace else. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, these things are just mentioned. And the reason they're mentioned is specifically like that is because all these things that were mentioned happened to Kunti. And she prayed to Krishna to let these things continue to happen. And just let me always think of you. But the nice part about it is 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 that the symptoms of life, she probably says, like like the affection for another living entity, affection for someone else, is not against spirituality. Um, desires are not against the spirituality. Even anger or hankerings are not against spirituality. They just have to be used in a spiritual way. It's the same thing true with every aspect of the material world. I've explained this in this program um, a number of times that um, the material world is the inferior energy of the Supreme Lord. This, this material world where we're living is the inferior energy of the Lord. And it is known as Durantia. It is known as a, as a prison house, where we are subjected to something which we're not meant to be subjected to. We're not meant to be subjected to repetition of birth and death, because we're eternal by nature. Now we're placed into a situation where this body is going. It comes into being at some time. It stays for some time, and then it departs. Vyapta, um, avyapta, vyapta, avyapta. Unmanifested, manifested, and then unmanifested. At, you know, I'm soon to be 66 years old, and I think like about a month from now I'll be 66. And that's you count the time I was in the womb, and I'm already 66. So, um, at you know, say 67 years ago, I was this this particular body wasn't manifested, or the soul inside this body, which was going to go through a certain level of growth and stuff, wasn't here, and. 
however many years I have according to the longevity which is given to me according to my previous actions, even the longevity that we have in this lifetime is given to us according to our karmic reactions of our, of our, action, of our activities, then I'll not this, this particular, uh, you can say tabernacle, this material body, which is actually a temple, because the Lord is residing within the heart along with the individual soul, so this body is actually a temple of the Lord, and it's meant to be respected and treated as such at all times and in all places, under all circumstances. Anyway, just keep on going. And so, um, so the idea of overcoming, and we were, because we started out by talking about reincarnation, and so just to kind of put reincarnation into thing, where we're already reincarnating right now. So why would it, if, if, we, if we are so, that there's life in this body, why, what, what, is, what is the source of consciousness? Why, well, this is, some, this is a question that the founder of our society asked, there were several, several hundred students at MIT in a lecture hall, and he went to give a lecture at MIT, got invited to MIT. And he asked him, you are all, you know, MIT, it's top university, I guess within the top 10, huh, at least, something like that. He said, you're all very intelligent, you know, young men and women. What is the difference between a live body and a dead body? What is your met uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology teaching you? What is the difference between a live body and a dead body? So someone may say one is breathing, one is not breathing, one is doing this, one is doing that. What is the difference? And, and, and he would say, you find a dead body and my body's alive. If it's not spiritual consciousness, that keeps the body alive, then take whatever ingredient that's in my body, that's not, that's not spiritual, and make that dead body come back to life. Find the ingredient, find the, if, it, if it's only, I love this word, I learned this word in the heart, but amalgamation, I knew the word before, but we never knew how to use it. Amalgamation huh, of the material elements in this body, they're there, they're all combined together, all these little molecules, atoms, around the neutron and all these little things. So he says, find the one within me and take it out and bring a dead body back to life. That you cannot do. Because the soul is the active principle in the body. This is described later on in the Gita, in the 13th chapter, or you must quote this verse at least once a month. Just as the sun alone gives illumination to this universe, so the soul gives consciousness to this body. In the same way, it's like the sun alone, you know, gives light to this world. In the same way, the soul inside this body gives consciousness to the, to the body. And therefore, as I've said in, in the past, wherever you see consciousness, in any living organism, no matter what it, can you say, primitive or primitive, no matter how down on the food chain they are, you know, if, be it amoebic or be it plant or be it, you know, aquatic or bird or beast or whatever, a mammal, whatever type of body you see, any, if you see any symptom of consciousness, you can understand there to be a soul present there. And it's just being restricted by that particular body. 
Like the Bhagavatam will describe there are two types, moving and non-moving. Say trees, trees are known as Sandhandrapa, those who eat through their feet. Because they eat through their roots. It's kind of a cool word actually, Angarapa, feet, right? Pada, Padayatra, we go on the uh, we go on walking pilgrimage, and they call it Padayatra, Yatra meaning pilgrimage. So that, that those entities that eat through their feet, their trees, they're 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 non-moving. But they're still conscious. They have a certain level of level intelligence to know that they they may not know. What is the study of botany? I guess <laughs> of plants. You know, botany. They may not know that they need photosynthesis. They need all. They may not have read the, the botany book or the biology book that describes that they need sunshine to exist. But they know they need sunshine to exist. They know, they'll, and they'll search. You can see a tree, it'll grow a certain way. Certain trees grow towards the sun, or plants will grow towards the sun. Or like, you ever see, you ever see a sunflower plant? You know, in the, in the morning it's like this, and by the afternoon it's just like this, gathering, it's just, you know, sucking in, uh, soaking in the sun, you know? It's, because it knows, I, I gotta do this to be a sunflower plant. It has a little bit of intelligence to know. I can go like this at night, but during the day I gotta go like this. We know that too, we gotta go like this at night. <laughs> and of course we all gotta get up and do our job, right? So the sunflower plant has its job, right? And so we, wherever we see life, we can understand there to be consciousness. And that no matter what type of form of life we take, it's we have, especially in the human form of life, we should know that all life is sacred. Anything, because the presence of the soul is there. And wherever the soul is present, the super soul, the supreme Lord, is also present. The Lord always accompanies the individual soul, no matter where that individual soul may desire to go. That's how cool Krishna is. Imagine how many of, I mean, I don't, okay, I don't make assumptions. How many of you have friends that would go with you no matter where you went? No matter where, no matter how bad it got. But they would go to jail with you and sit in jail with you and take the same punishment as you. Um, if, uh, if you were due a beating, they would say, only beat him 50% and beat me the other 50%. <laughs> That kind of friend's hard to find, all right. Yeah, that kind of friend's definitely down, down the, but that's Krishna. Krishna is, um, he is the, um, what's the book? Daudam Jagyatapisham Sabra. He's the, he's uh, Subhita, yeah, Subhita. There's different types of friends, but Subhita is actually a special, if, if there's several Sanskrit words for friend. One means one that, like a very dear friend, that no matter what, has got your back. Even if you take birth as an amoeba, he comes with. Even if you take birth as Jack the Ripper, he comes with you. Even if you, no matter what kind, you would take birth as a bird or a hog or a dog or a cat, whatever type of body you take, Krishna's so kind, he comes with. And he has two jobs. Number one, he witnesses and he permits. He's the witness and he's the permitter. He witnesses our activities, but he does not interfere, because that wouldn't be fair. If he interfered, our, um, 
limiting our free will, then that wouldn't be fair. And what he does is he witnesses and he permits. So he witnesses, so he knows everything. He knows, it's amazing what Krishna knows. He actually knows every single thing, every single living entity has ever done. As a superstar, as an expansion of Krishna. Now Krishna is not just sitting up there with a big, huge, you know, computer system that makes every, I, I didn't even know where. <laughs> I joke sometimes, if you had to get a driver's license to have a computer, I wouldn't own one. I mean like a computer license, like know how to use like a, like a driver's license. I had to take a test to prove that I knew how to drive a car. That I did, I passed that test. Um, but if I had to do that with my computer, I wouldn't, they wouldn't let me do it. So, so Krishna is not just up in, the, in some big computer laboratory, you know, hacking and doing all kinds of things, you know. <laughs> And knowing every single thing that everybody's doing, he's like hacking into your, you know, brain and your neurons and your neurotransmitters and your all these little things. And Krishna's not just up there doing that. Krishna's up there playing with his friends. This stuff all happens automatically by his will and by his expansion. That's because Krishna's omnipotent. He's all powerful. The all powerful can do that which the, those of us who are, are not omnipotent can do. Krishna is all powerful. What, what 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 can't he do? And so the idea is that the super soul accompanies the individual soul. So he's our best friend, and he witnesses and he and he's a witness and permitter of the activities. So we can never hold Krishna responsible for our independence. It seems like I mention this a lot, and I don't know why. It really doesn't matter, but um, if without without free will, if if the spiritual, we mentioned this before in this in this in this class before, without the, without the ability to not be in the spiritual world, if we the Christian, you know, he can make the spiritual world so the door there is no door out. Krishna can do that. But then it's not perfect because we have to be there. We don't have a choice. But because we have free will, and Krishna wants that free will, and he wants us to freely love him, then without that free will, there's no meaning to the word love. Because we're forced by the circumstance to say, yes, I love you, whether I love you or I don't love you. And that makes the spiritual world perfect. The fact that we can live there is part of the perfection of the spiritual world. And then Krishna creates the material world in such a way that if we use it, this is one of the points that I was headed to in the beginning but never didn't bump into, I never continued, is that this material energy, is this material world is the inferior nature of the Supreme Lord. And if we use this inferior nature of the Supreme Lord in a superior way, it has a, diff it has a completely different effect than if we use this inferior nature in a material way. Just like sometimes, you know, you have a house. Everybody has to have a place to live. No matter whether you're living under the, you know, the street in a tent, or you're living in a palatial building, or you're living under a tree or whatever, it doesn't really matter. Everyone has a place of residence. And so, what was I talking about before now? Free will. Free will, yeah. 
to have our free will. So, so with our free with, without <coughs> without free will, there, there, there is no meaning to life. And so, there I mean there is no meaning. So I'm going to about go back because I I lost track. Sometimes that happens. Can I say brain fart? Yeah, I'm getting a little old, right? So, um, you, the, if we utilize the material energy in a spiritual way, so I gave the example of the house. So, if there are so many houses in Dallas, but this house is being used in a spiritual way, everything that they cook in this house is offered to the, the, the picture, the deity of Krishna. When they clean the house, they want the house clean because Krishna is present in the house. They paid the rent so Krishna has a place to stay. They keep they everything they do. And that's given in ancient yet Kurosija, this Nasija, the host whatever we do, whatever we eat, whatever we give away, whatever austerities we perform. And everybody does all those things. Whatever we do, we do those as an act of love for God. And then that is the beginning. It's called karma yoga. Karma meaning action, then. not just reaction and action, reaction. I'm using the word in its proper tense uh, as just action. Taking our actions and engaging them in the devotional service of the Lord. And then the reaction is a spiritual purification rather than a, rather than a material incarceration. In other words, we won't take birth again in the material world if we have dovetailed all our activities and come to the point of fully being aware of our spiritual nature. And when we're aware of our spiritual nature, we're also aware of the nature of the Supreme Lord to the extent that our nature as a spiritual entity allows us because there's different types of relationships. Just like sometimes you... you there's, I gave this last time I said that like the chair is a neutral. It's neutral, but there's neutrality and there's neutrality in the spiritual world. There's servitorship in the spiritual world. There's friendships in the spiritual world. There's parental relationships in the spiritual world. Whatever is here is there. There's conjugal relationships in the spirit. Whatever is here is there. Only here it's a perverted reflection of there. So whatever is here is there. So if we just make this place. We just utilize this place as we would use it as it would be in the spiritual sense. Then we are spiritualizing all of our activities. And the reaction to that is a spiritual purification rather than material um, infection or whatever you want to call it. In other words, material uh, accumulating material reactions that are going to force us to, um, what would you say, be... Um, yeah, be an animal, yeah, or to just be. In a, I'm trying to think of the word, not in tomb, but like um, reside within one of eight million four hundred thousand different species of life. There are eight million four hundred thousand species of life according to the Vedic literature, and according to modern science, they're about the same number. But we're not quite sure how the translation of the Sanskrit and English goes. That has you. There's no one's really quite figured that one out, what the Sanskrit meaning of species and the English correlation to species is, but needless to say, it's pretty close. So no matter what type of species of life we'll get, 
you know, if we utilize, if we're, if we're utilizing this human, especially now, let's, let's talk about reincarnation, because we'd already talked about that there's a soul in all types of bodies. So those types of bodies which are lower than human, and it's not, this is not like politically incorrect to say that trees are less than human beings, and they are doing what trees are supposed to do, and therefore they're perfectly fine as trees. We have no prejudice against trees. <laughs> but they're trees. And you can't expect them to be anything outside of trees. And so, and so what happens is that any entity, any species lower than the human form of life is in jail. We're also in jail, by the way. But that's another point. We'll get to that later. Any species lower than human life is in jail. And no matter what that species of life does, it's just it's just burning off previous reactions to another time evidence, another action in the human form of life. Sometimes you're cast down very, very low. You do something so horrendous in the, in the human form of life that you have to take a very, very, very low birth. Or sometimes you just go down a little bit. Sometimes you stay in the human form of life by your actions. Sometimes you go into, I say, higher beings within this world's life, and sometimes you can even go into the spiritual world. It all depends on our actions. And so, all those living entities and those lower species, they're automatically going up the scale, slowly but surely. They're just changing from cell A to cell B to cell C to cell D, and they're going up. And when they get to the human form of life again, this is a life of responsibility where it's a pivotal point. It's a point where we're held responsible for our actions because we have given, we, by, by achieving the human form of life, we have been given a certain type of intelligence. A certain type of intelligence that other species of life don't have. And intelligence is meant for discrimination. And we're supposed to, men, we're supposed to contemplate and we're supposed to be introspective enough to take a look at our actions and what our actions are doing and where our actions are leading us and find out where they're actually meant to be reposed. What, where, what are we actually supposed to be doing? First of all, we have to understand what we are. If we don't even know what we are, then how the heck are we going to know what to do? I always give the example, if I think I'm a dog and I start barking up here, it ain't going to work. Because I don't know anybody in the room that speaks bark. Anybody speak bark? Bark means a you know, dog. So it's just like, it's like if we misidentify ourselves, if we misidentify ourselves to be this material body rather than the soul inside, then we're crazy. It's just like if I were to think I'm a duck. I said this the last time I saw it. I, I, somehow it just came up. If I just start barking and I, they'll just calm up and have them put me away for a few days and give me some medication. Let me know that I'm actually not a dog and I'll get this guy back into shape. But what's the difference between me misidentifying myself in that sense and me misidentifying myself as thinking that I'm American or I'm a white male that's having a birthday, so-called, whatever you want to call it, in a month? What's the difference? There is no difference. It's just, it's craziness. It's, it's craziness to think that I'm something that I'm not. So the first thing we must know is who we are. And that is we are eternal part and We are eternal part and parcel of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. 
and we have an eternal relationship with that supreme entity. And in that supreme relationship, we can manifest and we can, and we can engage in that type of relationship even within this material situation. And when we do, it reduces all the karmic effects, using karma as negative in that sense. We just reduce all those karmic effects to the point where we come to the point of self-realization, understanding ourselves. And in that point, we understand our relationship with the Supreme Lord, and then we act on that platform. Until then, we just practice. Until then, we call it, there's two things called sadhana bhakti. Bhakti meaning devotion, sadhana meaning regulated practices of devotional service. You under, we learn what it means to perform devotional service through reading of the scriptures, through teachings of the, uh, the teachers and the, and the saintly people. We learn what, what this process is, and we follow this process, and we get a particular result. And then up at a certain point, it goes from sadhana, regulated, and like in school, to the point where you graduate, and all of a sudden, it's just like you know what you're doing. You actually know what to do how to do, when to do, what to do, in relationship to the Supreme Lord. And that's the process of Bhakti Yoga, which is given in the Krishna Conscious Movement. So we're all in a very, uh, what would you say, good situation right now. Because we have this human form of life. And we have a choice now. And the, the, you know, the dog doesn't have much choice to act like a dog. Now we have a choice. We can act like a dog. And sometimes some people even say, hey dog, how do you think? <laughs> they even say to people, yo dog. <laughs> they do. And they think it's a compliment. But it's actually, I mean, we have a choice to be dog-like or God-like. If you take a look at the word D-O-G-G-O-D, they're just reverse words. So we either serve dog or we serve God. Now, this is one of the founders of our society used, used to say this quite often. You serve dog or you serve God. He would see people with dogs and taking such nice care of them. And we're not against having a pet as long as you keep it outside or something. But not very clean inside the house if you have a temple. But um, we, you see people serve, you can say God, or serve something on the material level rather than taking that same energy and serving the Supreme Lord. And the thing is, is that if we connect those activities, which we normally do for our own personal sense, if we connect those activities, which we normally do for our own personal sense gratification, and instead do those same activities for the satisfaction of the Supreme Lord, then we're acting as our true selves in relationship to the Supreme Lord and our happiness is going to actually increase, not decrease. We, sometimes they say that the, renunci the renunciation, they, they, they announce me, I'm a Swami, so it's known as renounced order of life. What do I have to renounce, actually? I really don't own it. Nobody really owns anything to really renounce anything. You really own something, you can take it with you, but you can't. And so, we take this human form of life and we utilize it like this. 
then everything becomes, it, it, it actually, the heart, the, the, the soul, our soul, actually becomes joyful because now it's acting as it's meant to act rather than acting at, in an insane way. Sanity, everybody will agree, is better than insane. Of course they say there's two happy people in the world. The insane person, or the fool, and the enlightened. Better to be enlightened than to be insane. Better to be enlightened. Enlightenment lasts much longer than insanity. Insanity will only last a few lifetimes. I mean, in this lifetime, maybe carry on a few. But we want to come out of that insanity, a misidentification, and come into sanity, into sanity, where we actually understand what we are, and then do those actions, knowingly, consciously choosing, even though that taste for, that sense gratification for our own personal self may be there, may, may still be residing within our consciousness, or within our being. But because we have been given knowledge, we know not to do it, and to do, or to do it in a way where it's spiritualized, then we get that spiritual result. It's a very beautiful word. We get a higher taste. Even though we may restrict ourselves from, the, from sensual activities, even though they still reside in the heart, but ceasing these material activities and utilizing them in the service of the Supreme Lord, the higher taste comes. The lower taste, what happens? What hap we already described that. In the material world, we have desire. We, if we get it, it doesn't really give us what we want. We become frustrated and become greedy for something else. And if we, do, and if we don't get it, we become frustrated and become greedy for that which we didn't get. So in, the, in either case, on the material level, it's a lose-lose. But in the spiritual sense, no matter what we do, if we do it in a relationship and in conjunction with the Supreme Lord, it's a win-win. Because materially we're satisfied. We don't say, don't eat. We just say, eat only Krishna Prashada. Krishna Prashada means that which has been offered to the Supreme Lord. Prashada means mercy. Krishna is so kind that in this world, one living entity has to live off another. So Krishna says, Patram Pushkam Palam that if you offer me fruit, flour, leaf, water, like a vegetarian, plant-based diet, then I'll accept that. I won't accept anything, I'll accept that. And if you offer that to me, whatever residual reaction is present within that, I'll protect you from that sin. But if you go out of the bounds, then I'm not going to protect you. It's just like, it's like the playing field. If we're inside the playing field and we're playing by the rules, we don't get any penalties. But as soon as we step out of bounds, we're, no lot, we're, not, we're now subjected to the penalty. And so that's what Krishna gives us. He gives us, in this material world, we can make it into a spiritual uh, uh, playing field, whereby we do each and every one of our actions, which would be our plays, you know, Bong Bong, Hail Mary, what do you call it? I know, whatever. <laughs> and, but if we, as long as we're doing it in conjunction with Krishna, then it's cool. But if we don't, then we get the sinful reactions. And that's the nice thing about Krishna consciousness, that it really affords us this opportunity to come to that level. And there's, that's, that's my message for today. What do you think? Yeah.
from our new guests. Any ideas? I learned a lot today, Kevin. Anything from you? Question? Doubts or? No, um, I appreciate the the um, aspect of, of Krishna coming with you and your soul being, uh, you know, going on to another life. Um, and so what you do here, you want to do it the right way. Um, I guess um, I've always I've always had trouble accepting that something poor could happen to me now because of something that I'm a mark or a mar that I'm carrying on my soul from lifetimes past. Mm. I have a hard time. Um, I guess you could say I have a hard time accepting non-control. Um, but I also I would I would find it. Um, I, I think it, I think it would be unacceptable for me to have to suffer for some someone else's poor decisions. Right. And that's that's always been something that's um, caused me hesitation. Yeah, that's a good point. So, but we also have to. Uh, Maybe I can just dissect that sure. a bit. Yeah, dissect that a little bit. Because some say for example, no we're living in Dallas or we're in America. And there's certain collective karma for America and for Dallas. Let's say a tornado comes through or a hailstorm comes through. There's collective karma. And we can say, well, what did I specifically do to get a hailstorm if my house gets smashed? But we have the, our karmic reaction is that we're placed in a particular s space, say Dallas or the United States, that has a particular collective karma that goes with it. By our previous actions, we have earned that particular space that we're in. And all the little residual, what do they call it, collateral damage, that we experience, it may seem like collateral damage, but it's also a fragment, fragmental part of our, of our, what would you call it, of our karmic reactions, a fragmental part. Now if something directly happens to us, we can say, okay, but if the fragmental parts, they seem to be always there. They seem to be all pervasive all the time, all, you know, almost, you know, it's just like, whoa, it's like, but the thing is that once we understand that part of our karma is to be placed in a particular arena at a particular time and place, it's just like, I was born in 1952. Wasn't the Korean War going on in 1952, I think, if I remember right? Yes. It did, yeah, yeah. Yes. So why was I born in a protected small town in the middle of North Dakota, rather than on the bat, you know, in a small village in Korea where there's a war going on and my mother's jump, you know, jumping through bunkers or something to protect her child. That's my, that's my part of my collective karma, my direct karma, my collect directive karma, you could say, because you even say that, you know, direct collective karma. And that, and that child that was born in Korea at that time, in that section, although 
direct karma and indirect, it's all direct. It's all, it's, it's like the little pieces all fit together to make up one. It, it's like, it's like if, you, if our, our bodies are literally custom-made vehicles. It's like sometimes you go to the automobile place and you say, I want the white one with the gray interior with the mag wheels and the four-speed and the 25, whatever it is. You custom order the car and the factory makes it. So in the same way, by our actions, we have been given a custom-made body that's meant to have peripheral and direct things happen to us. And each and every, and you can't say that they're unfair or that they're unwarranted because they're happening. And it's not that God is out of control. God is totally in control. And, and I really enjoyed, I really appreciated when you said you don't like not being in control. And that's the problem that we have, that we all have. We don't like that because we want to be controllers and that's one of the reasons we come into the material world is because we think we should be the controller and not, and not the Supreme Lord. And therefore we come here to try to control. It's like, it's like our parents giving us a little play field to play and then we think we're in charge of you know, building the Lego building and building this, that bulldozer or whatever it is. But it's just playtime. The real time is our parents are in control. And they, they're running our life. So in the same way, the Supreme Lord is the Supreme Controller and the Supreme Enjoyer, not us. And when we, like, we can come to the point of accepting that fact, and at least in theory, and then with that theory, acting on that fact, and then utilizing that, and then judging the result of that action based on that understanding and seeing if it doesn't get better. I have to admit, it's getting better. It's getting better all the time. Maybe you don't know that song. Some of my song. Some of my elderly friends know that. <laughs> we have to admit it gets better. And the more we connect with the Supreme, the Susukankartamani, I read that verse, actually I was going to read that 9-2, yeah, 9 verse, chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 9 verse 2, that ends with Susukankartamani, that this is the, it's the, um, this knowledge of Bhagavad Gita, or spiritual knowledge, it's the king of all knowledge. And it is Guyan. It is the most secret of all secret things. And it's, um, it gives direct perception of the self. And it's pure. And it's susukkankartama. It is joyfully performed. When one really understands what they're doing and what they're connecting to, and just like all of a sudden I said, I got a way for you to make like a billion dollars, dude. And you look at it and you say, man, this guy's right, we're going to make it, and it's easy. You're going to be like totally in life. You know, billion dollars means a lot, you know? But this, uh, this thing that we could offer eternal, blissful life, where there's no material encumbrances, where there's no material vibes, lust, anger, greed, avarice, envy, yeah. <laughs> An environment like that, 
or there's still personal engagement and there's deep friendships that are based on a type of love that we don't know in this world. The closest thing is the mother to the child. Isn't it? The closest, the closest thing that a spiritual love is a mother's love for a child or parents' love for a child. That's about as close as it gets. And even that's rough sometimes. <laughs> or a lot of times. But the idea is of a type of love that has no beginning and has no end. Type of love like that. That's the type of love that we're actually hankering for in the heart. But we're, we're searching in the wrong, we're in the wrong, we're in the wrong atmosphere. And until we get into the right atmosphere, and atmosphere I mean by the right mindset, in other words, atmosphere, you know, it's what you make it. You can be in the worst, worst position in the material world and be in a great atmosphere. Just by your, just by your consciousness, just by utilizing spiritual knowledge, spiritual awareness, gratitude for that which the Lord has given us, gratitude for that which the Lord will maybe be taking away from us. Always a sense of gratitude. An attitude of gratitude sometimes they say, isn't it? It's a common thing out there. An attitude of gratitude is the best thing to have. So I really, I really appreciate that your, your quest for that knowledge and that frustration of not being able to control. I mean, it's just so, it's so damn frustrating. <laughs> you know, I just can't, you know. Okay, so, are we ready? Okay. So thank you very much, everyone, for coming and attending. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Is next Wednesday open for a speaker? You got some else? Yeah, please, please. Okay, uh, I'm here next Wednesday. I'm leaving Thursday. I'm leaving, I'm leaving Thursday to see my niece. I'll be gone for a week, and then I'll be back. Maybe, and then we're going to have a we're going to have a star studded lineup of Swami to the south. David Mitra Swami. David Swami. Swami. And Indra Swami. Indra is going to come on the 12th. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. And then we also have Keshavardhi. Keshavardhi. Oh, okay.